0: Good to have you with us at Riverwest Church. My name is Guy. I'm one of the pastors here at Riverwest Church. And uh, it's good to be here with you all. Thank you so much for your prayers for Eric and I and Darren Larson as we were last Sunday in Bujicera, Rwanda. And yes, we were at a three and a half hour church service, which was kind of amazing just to be there and to see that happen. It was. It was very, very cool. And so thanks for your prayers. We had a great trip. Uh, we met with about 30 pastors and leaders and did a conference on um, healthy church. What does it look like to build a healthy church was our theme. And I told them that they were getting actually the preview of this because this is exactly what we're going to be teaching at our own church in the fall. They were very excited to know that they were first. And that, that was pretty cool. So that was, that was a good moment. Um, I want to show you a photo. I have a photo here of Pastor Kayumba and Harriet and myself. And um, I want to tell you about this moment. Now, we had taken some time and toured the property out there. Um, As you might know, there's many acres there that um, our church is able to purchase for them to build a church. There's a church building there now. Um, Out in the back right now, they're actually building a high school Uh, These guys, they're called Builders Without Borders, and they literally come in, and in two weeks, they build four buildings that will be a high school for 180 students. It's amazing. I mean, we're out there, like, you know, one day and the next day, it's like the building's up, the roof is there, they're putting the siding on, Um, one team comes for a week, then they go away, another team comes and finishes up in the second week. It's really amazing. amazing. And so, But for us, because we were there five years ago when there was nothing but bare land, and we prayed on this land that the Lord would do something amazing there. And so to see over five years, to see a tent, then a church building, now a high school, it's really pretty remarkable. But what I told the congregation was that, you know, that's really the easy part. The easy part is buying land, building buildings. The difficult part is building a church building a community of Christ. That's the hard part. And so I told them, you know, our part at Riverwest Church, we, we do the easy part. That's We just come alongside you. The hard part, you guys are doing. Pastor Kayumba and Harriet, they're doing the hard part of the work. And um, so it's amazing to be able to stand with them. I wanted to show you this photo because what happened was after we toured the property, we went and we spent a little time with um, Pastor Kayumba and his wife. And they wanted to thank us in particular for our help. Um, you might not remember, Pastor Cayumba got very, very sick and he was at the point of death. Um, literally, um, they thought that maybe he was gonna die. And our church prayed and we also helped by sending some money over there to help pay for his treatment. And so right before this photo was taken, Harriet um, spoke to me through an interpreter and she said, I want to thank you and I want you to thank your church because my husband is alive. I do not stand before you today as a widow and my children without a father. And that got to me. (laughs) It was amazing. And so I got out my phone and I said, let's do a selfie right now. And... (laughs) That was the moment. Can you sense the joy in this picture? Like, I don't get too excited about anything. I was really excited at that moment, right? That's pure joy just to see that. And so thank you, River West Church. Thank you for all that you do. It's amazing. You can take the photo down now. Um, One of the things that um, for me as a pastor, it warms my heart really more than anything is to see River West Church, the congregation, engage with the world around us for Christ, for the gospel, for the building up of the church. There's nothing that brings me more joy than that. So to go over there and to see what's happening and to know we're a part of it, it just, it just gives joy to my heart. But it's not just over there. You know, I come back over here and I see the things that the Lord is doing in and through our church. Um, this last week we went over and we visited with the pastor over on the east side, AJ Swoboda, to see how we could partner with him as they're praying about buying this day theater on Foster, which is kind of in a really bad neighborhood. But there's this opportunity and an opportunity to partner with them in ministry to see what it might look like to impact that area of the city with the gospel. And so we've learned a lot about partnerships. And the power of them. And it's really cool. Will you pray for AJ and pray for Theophilus Church and pray for our partnership with them? We'll see what that looks like. But it's not always partnerships. It's not always organizations. You know, in essence, it's you. It's you one on one. It's your life reaching out to the people around you. A young man came to our church and uh, he had never been to church really before. Um, After service, he spoke to me. He said, Can I meet with you? He goes, I'm here. I know nothing about Christianity, like zero. I don't know anything. And I met with him, and I said, what are you doing here? (laughs) He said, well, I've lost my faith in humanity. And I said, well, how did that happen? He said, I work retail. (laughs) It, it, It wasn't a joke. That wasn't a joke. He said, I work at Starbucks. I'm a barista. And he said, I've lost my faith in humanity. He said, I'm crushed. I'm devastated. But he said, someone from your church has come in every day to this Starbucks and been so gracious and so kind to me and showed an interest in me that I couldn't help but see the difference. And I said, what is it about you? And they said, I'm a Christian. Would you like to come to church with me? And they came to church. How powerful is that? You see, it doesn't, yeah, I mean... Okay, that's, that's just you. That's just, that's just every member of our congregation, just, just reaching out, just being on mission, just understanding the power of Christian love and Christian witness. Anywhere we are, we can band together and we can do great things with other Christians and organizations. We can do great things by going across the street or going into Starbucks and just being a Christian where we live. And that's exciting. It's beautiful hey, we're going to open the scriptures. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand, grab a Bible, and... Uh we're going we're gonna to look into the scriptures this morning. Oh, before I forget, I wanted to tell you something that happened at, at the church in Bujasera, which I thought was kind of funny. Pastor Kambiel was introducing me, and uh, they're really into River West Church there because there's been such a great partnership. And so he's going on and on. He's introducing me, and he's saying, you know, this man, Pastor Guy, he's come over here. And he said, I want to introduce him. I want you to know that Pastor Guy, I consider him to be a senior pastor of our church. And I went, how cool is that? <laughs> when I'm no longer the senior pastor of River West Church, at least I'll be the senior pastor <laughs> of New Life Bible Church in Bujasira, Rwanda. So that was exciting. And then he said something about Christopher and the entire congregation broke into spontaneous applause. And I thought... What's up with this? All right. I get the honorary title, but Christopher is a rock star in this place. I don't know what's up with Christopher, but man, they love that guy over there. So that was kind of a cool story. Hey, if you grab that Bible, I'd like you to open up to the Gospel of John this morning. There are only two places in the New Testament that refer to the joy of Jesus Christ. There's just two places. Now, I find this fascinating. I've checked and I've checked and I've checked. There's got to be more. There's only two places in the New Testament that refer to the joy of Jesus. The first is in the Gospel of Luke, and it's a passage where Jesus is rejoicing because the Heavenly Father has revealed something to his disciples, very important, and it says that Jesus rejoiced in his spirit because the disciples, basically, they got it. And and that that brought him joy. The only other place that refers to the joy of Jesus is in the Gospel of John, and it is in what we call the Upper Room Discourse, which basically goes to John thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and then and then his prayer, like his his final prayer in chapter seventeen. So it's this big section of Scripture, and this is where we come to the epicenter of the joy of Jesus. In fact, in those chapters, the word joy is mentioned seven times, seven times. Jesus refers to his own joy. It doesn't just say that he rejoiced about something. He actually talks about his own joy in the passage That we're going to look at today. And so I want today to talk about the joy of Jesus and what it means for us in our lives. I'm going to show you an amazing passage. It's in John chapter 15 in verse 11. And we're going to look at more verses than that in this context. But I just want you first to kind of fasten your eyes on this really amazing verse. John 15, 11, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. All right, that's our theme verse for our study this morning. Everything surrounds that verse. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. The thing that is so striking about this statement of Christ is that it seems so completely unexpected and out of place with what is happening all around it. As I said, this is what we call the upper room discourse, or the farewell speech of Jesus. Jesus is speaking these words on the night that he's betrayed by Judas. He's speaking these words just hours before he'll go and be tortured and crucified on the cross. The cross is coming. Every single person in the room is troubled, including Jesus. In fact, if you look at chapter 13, after the foot washing, it tells us in chapter 13, verse 21, after these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Everyone in the room is troubled. Jesus is troubled. He's deep in his spirit. He says, Someone here is going to betray me. One of you will betray me. Of course, then all the disciples are troubled and they begin to say, well, is it I? Is it I? Who is it? Who's going to betray you? They're deeply, deeply troubled. So much so, in fact, that in chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. (laughs) You believe in God, believe also in me. He knows they're anxious. He knows they're troubled. Later in this chapter, actually in chapter 15, Jesus is going to tell them that if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So now he's going to project into just days from now, and he says, you know what? The world actually hates me. They're going to hate you too. I mean, there's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of storm clouds on the horizon in this entire passage. And that's the thing that makes this so amazing. Right here in the middle of all of this, comes this word of joy. Now, this is the only place I can find where Jesus refers to his own joy. Though in Luke, it says Jesus rejoiced. This is the only reference where Jesus talks about his own particular joy and how he wants this for his disciples too. Because this is so, there are some people who actually think that this verse, chapter 15 and verse 11, is the key to understanding everything that happened in the upper room. I mean, it's just so out of the blue and out of left field, out of context and out of the the feeling of everything else that you, you have to say, well, why is it there? Why would he say that? In fact, he didn't just say it once. He said it again. And the second time he said it, he said it in a prayer to his heavenly father in John 17. You can find it in John 17, 13, in what's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's the longest prayer recorded of Jesus, and it's pretty amazing. Jesus says in John 17, 13, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy Fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus said it again. He said, everything that's going on here, you know what it's really about? I'm giving this speech, not just to explain details or information or talk about the trouble and all this. I'm giving this speech so that they might know what my joy is and that they also might have this joy. So there's an insight For us here about Jesus and there's also a promise. There's a promise. Don't you think that Jesus, when he said these words, he wasn't just talking about the disciples. These words are recorded for us. He he wants us to have this joy. Jesus wants you to have a deep joy in your life that sustains you and that motivates you and is at the center of your relationship with God. But here's my question. What exactly then is the joy of Jesus in John 15? What is the joy of Jesus in the upper room? Because Jesus wants it for us. So what is that joy? I've been pondering this for a long time. I've been thinking about it, praying about it, studying, trying to figure it out. And I have a preliminary conclusion In order to understand the joy of Jesus, we're going to have to back up a little bit and go to the beginning of chapter 15 and read through what Jesus teaches about the vine and the branches. So let's back up the lens a little bit. Go to John 15, and I'm now going to read you from John 15, verses 1 through 11. It is the famous passage of the vine and the branches and the fruit. Here it is, John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. Well, there it is. I believe that the key to understanding the joy of Jesus in John 15 is wrapped up in this teaching about the true vine, and the branches. So we have to recognize right away that what happens here is Jesus gives the seventh and final of the I am sayings. You know that in the Gospel of John, there are seven what we call the I am sayings of Jesus. They're all very powerful, very meaningful. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You get the idea. There's seven of these I am sayings. Now we come to the seventh and the final of the I am sayings. And Jesus says that I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. The key to the teaching is not in the agricultural practices of Palestine at the time. I don't think Jesus is just thinking about the vineyards and how cool they look. And hey, I got a great illustration for you guys. It's, it's about a vineyard. I think there's something way deeper than that going on here. I think the key is the symbolism from the Old Testament. Just as in all of the I Am sayings, the symbolism takes us back to the Old Testament scriptures and the plan of God and the mind of God. In the Old Testament, the vine and the vineyard is a symbol for God's people Israel in their calling to change the world. So I'm just going to pause right there for effect. In the Old Testament, the vine and the vineyard is a symbol of God's people Israel in their calling to actually change the world. Throughout the Old Testament, God keeps referring to Israel as his vine. He says in Psalm eighty, I brought a vine out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. He says, I brought a vine out of Egypt and I planted it in the land, the land of promise. And he looked for fruit. He had a purpose for his people, planted as a vine. He had a design for them to actually impact the world, to actually shine the light of truth of God in a dark world. But they didn't do it. So you can go to passages like this. Look at Isaiah in chapter 5. Isaiah 5, 1 through 11 Isaiah says, let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It shall be devoured. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. So there you go, right there. It's exactly what I said to you. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, the men of Judah, The vine and the vineyard in the Bible is a symbol of God's people. And God had a plan and a purpose for them to impact the world. He says in verse 7 at the end, He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. The heart of God was to plant His people in the world to actually bring righteousness and justice and God's kingdom and a witness to the truth of who God is in the world. And that's likened unto the fruit of the vineyard. But it didn't turn out that way. And so God actually had to bring judgment on his people, and that's exactly what he did in the Old Testament. So now you have the background, all right? You have to understand this to get the point. And now Jesus says to his disciples at this crucial moment, he says, I am the true vine. Where Israel has failed, I will succeed. The mission that God had for his people Israel, I take up that mission now. God planted a vine that he wanted to impact the world for good and for righteousness and a vision of God. But it failed. And so he says, now I will become that vine. I will be the true vine. I will be the witness. I will impact the world for God. And what does he do? He invites his disciples now in this upper room to join him. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And what's the goal? Fruit. Now, maybe you noticed it in the passage when we read it. We saw the word fruit six times, kept saying it over and over again, you know, that that you might bear much fruit. Here's the goal, much fruit. He says it again, actually, if you go back to chapter 15 and in verse 16, he says the same thing again. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Fruit, fruit. So out of... All those references, we have eight times he talks about fruit. This is the goal. This is what God wants to see. It's, it's fruit. But what is the fruit? This is not the same fruit that we find in the book of Galatians where it says the fruit of the Spirit in you is faith and love and joy and hope and peace and patience. That kind of fruit is the fruit of the Spirit in us And that's awesome fruit. That's the fruit of the Spirit in you. That's not the same fruit here. This is the fruit of God through you impacting the world. That's the goal. Fruit that impacts the world. Fruit in the world for the purpose, the cause, the mission of God in the world. This is what I believe. I believe that the joy of Jesus in John 15 is the joy of living on mission for the purpose of God and the glory of God. That's the joy of Jesus in John 15. And it's taken me a long time to sort of come to grips with this because for so many years in the church, I've heard teachings about this that are very introspective. God wants to, to bring fruit in my life, in me. It's sort of like the fruit of the Spirit. God wants me to abide in Jesus, and so I'm having this communion experience with Jesus, and that's what this passage is about. Well, I think it's about that, but it's about more than that. It's fruit that impacts the world and that brings glory to God. That's the mission of Jesus, and now Jesus is calling his disciples into that mission. Why does Jesus say this? Because this is his deepest joy and he wants to share it with us. What's the deepest joy of Jesus? The deepest joy of of Jesus is his mission in the world. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. The joy of Jesus is to do that. What's the deepest joy of Jesus? It's to go through the cross and to come out victorious on the other side that he might save lives, that he might save the world. In fact, I'll show you another verse that confirms that. How about Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two? It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's another one of those rare verses that really describe the inner workings of the joy of Jesus. Let's look into Jesus. Jesus, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. And what was the joy on the other side of the cross? It was you, it was me, it was my neighbor. It was a hurting world. Jesus went to the cross for the sins of the world. It was his joy to do that. It was joy that moved him, that pushed him, that held him there, his love, and the joy of knowing the result of that. And now Jesus said, these things I've spoken unto you, that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. You know, this series is called The Pursuit, and it's about the pursuit of holiness. And it's sort of an almost intimidating title. It's like I'm pursuing holiness because it sounds like super religious or churchy or unattainable or something. And I just so much love that Pastor Adam, on the very first week when he introduced this series, he gave us a very simple definition of holiness. You remember this? Adam said, "Holiness means moving closer to God." Remember that? Holiness is moving closer to God." Now that is a great, great, helpful definition. God is holy, and our holiness is just we're moving closer. We're moving closer to God. Here's what I've learned. You cannot move closer to God without also moving into the mission of God. You cannot. It's impossible to move closer to God and not move into God's mission. And when you do move into his mission, you find the joy of Jesus in your life. This is what I've seen. I've seen it over and over and over again. I see a group of high school students and leaders get in a plane and go to South Korea. <laughs> and when they come back, you know what I noticed? Joy. Right? Jeff? <laughs> joy. That's what I see. You saw it. They come back and it's like they're different people. They're like, they're just filled with joy. There's something going on. This is amazing. You know what that joy is? It's the joy of Jesus. It's the joy of Of mission, of living for God's mission purpose in this world. And it transforms us. And now we're sharing the joy of Jesus. You saw the photo of myself with Kayumba and Harriet. And there was joy, like in my face. I'm like, this is so cool. This is so awesome, Lord. Thank you for this. It's the joy of joining Jesus on mission years ago in our church when our church is very small and we didn't have much going on in terms of like reaching out to the community we decided that we'd start a ministry sort of an outreach ministry to our community and we called it the river's edge we thought that was kind of cool you know river west rivers that get it it's kind of cool we're gonna live on the edge and so Um, we didn't have, you know, computer hookups and all this kind of stuff like we do now. You can go online and do everything, right? So you know what we did? We passed a clipboard. (laughs) We just sent it down the aisle. Would you like to be involved in reaching the world? And we passed this clipboard, and at the end we had a little meeting with some people that volunteered to kind of lead this thing. And we looked at the clipboard, and there was just a very few names on there. And someone in that group looked at me, and they said, this church will never have any impact either in Portland or in the world. Zero. Because this church is filled with a bunch of elitist snobs who like to gather in Lake Oswego for worship. And I'm thinking, well, you're here. (laughs) (laughs) But they weren't for long. They actually left. They left the church. They said, this church will never have any impact. Yeah, I know these people, and I know that they're not going to. I want you to know what brings my heart, great joy and delight, <laughs> all these years later. I'm like, sorry, but you were wrong. You were wrong. It's amazing to see what the Lord has done in and through and is doing and will do through this group of people. But here's the deal. What I've seen Through our engagement with the mission of God, and as I see more and more fruit that comes of it, I also see joy. I see joy. I see joy in hearts. I see joy in our church. I see the joy of Jesus. But the joy of Jesus is unique. It's not just happiness, it's not just all bubbles and fizz, you know, not just all smiles and songs something deeper. How can Jesus stand there? At the Last Supper, Judas is going out to betray him. Everyone in the room is troubled, tormented. They just can't even comprehend what's happening. And at that critical moment, Jesus says, all these things I'm saying to you, I'm saying that you might know my joy. That my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. Do you see how astounding that statement is right in that context? It's just so amazing. What is he talking about? (laughs) I'll tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about the joy of a life lived on mission for the purpose of God and the glory of God in a broken world. And once we get on that page, something happens in us that is amazing. You cannot get close to God without joining in the mission of God. You cannot do it. Now, this is one of the reasons why I think John 15 has been misunderstood by lots of people. Because they want to focus so much on this teaching about the vine and abiding in the vine and the fruit that it just becomes about them and Jesus having this communal experience. And I think it's missing the point. You cannot have a communal experience with Jesus without engaging in in his heart's mission. It's an impossible thing. You just can't do it. I knew a woman who, years ago, um, she was involved in putting on spiritual retreats. And she led people through the spiritual exercises of Ignatius Loyola. How many people know what the spiritual exercises of Ignatius Loyola are? All right, well, Ignatius Loyola, um, Catholic priest, kind of middle ages, and he had these spiritual exercises for us to get close to God, examine ourselves and become closer to God. And she put on these retreats, and all these women, they'd go through these practices and these exercises to get close to God. And one day, Marina and I were at her house, and I saw our neighbor, and I said, oh, there's your neighbor. Like, do you know your neighbor? Do you ever talk to your neighbor? And her response to me was, I would never talk to my neighbor. Like I'm not kidding you, this is exactly what she said to me. I would never talk to my neighbor because I don't have time, and anyway they bug me. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds so bizarre. And I'm I'm thinking that this I'm going, something is wrong with this equation. Like, really? So you're gonna go off on a weekend to get close to God and have this intimate, like, experience with Jesus. But it doesn't translate in any way to your relationship with your neighbor. That is not the joy that Jesus is talking about. That's not it. The Lord is inviting us. Maureen and I met a man at the care home where Maureen's mother is being taken care of. And um, her mom is, Maureen, 98? 98. And the guy was 91? 91. He was a young guy. He was 91. (laughs) And so, you know, we've been there many times visiting Huntington Beach, and and we see this guy there, and, I mean, this guy has, like, really got it together. And, you know, he's got a smile on his face. Like, nobody has a smile on their face, hardly, in this place. It's just not happening, you know? It's like you walk through the door, and you're like, I've come to the chamber of woes. And uh, this guy is smiling. He has a Bible right next to him. We start talking. And he says, oh, yeah, I, I was a pastor for, like, 45 years. And then after that, I had this Christian ministry, and I've done all these things, and I have my Bible here. And it was amazing. This guy was filled with joy. And he's in the same, you know, the guy can't walk. He can't walk. He's telling me, you know, I hope that when you get old, you're not modest because, man, they stick me in the shower, and there's, like, no shame. I'm just there, and these women are taking care of me. And it's like, I'm like, oh, okay, great. I have something to look forward to. LAUGHTER <laughs> Yeah, but it doesn't matter. He said, it doesn't matter, you know. And what I realized was this guy at 91 years old in that place, he sees himself on mission for Jesus. And that's everything. It made all the difference in the world. It's just an extension of the whole life that he's lived. He said, now I'm here. Now I'm here. I'm not getting on a plane and going to Rwanda. I'm not going to the east side of Portland in some trendy ministry. I'm not doing anything. I'm just... Sitting in this home and I can't even walk across the room and I'm surrounded by people who are hurting worse than I am and I have my Bible and Jesus and I have a mission and he had joy. That's the joy of Jesus. Don't you want that joy in your life? The Lord needs to do something in our hearts and minds and make an adjustment so we get on that page. The deepest joys of our lives come from our purpose and not just our pleasures. When you submit your own personal brand of joy to the joy of Jesus, something amazing happens. Now, I'm taking a little twist here because I want to go back to this phrase in 1511. These things I've spoken to you that my joy might be in you, right? But now think about the second phrase, and that your joy might be full. And I'm trying to figure that one out, that my joy might be in you. I think that's the joy of mission for sure, but that your joy might be full. So there's lots of things that bring you joy in your life, all kinds of things. Everybody has their own sort of brand of joy, things that make them happy, things that they love to do, things that they enjoy. How can your joy actually become even fuller than it's ever been before? When you submit your brand of joy to the lordship of Jesus for his purpose and his mission, all of a sudden, that joy, your particular joy, becomes full and complete. I was thinking about an illustration of this today, and my mind went back to a guy named Jose Luis. Some of you are going to remember Jose Luis. He used to play keyboard at our church years ago. And the guy is just like super... Amazing. He's just a super amazing guy, personality. And Jose Luis, when he first started playing at our church, now he loves music. It's his joy. It's his passion. He's in Argentine and he's always like, I'm so passionate. Pastor, I'm so passionate about the music. You know, I had to keep him from standing on the keyboard, you know, during the service, like just mellow out. Um, It was great. Every day on Sunday morning, After service, between services, he'd come and talk to me about the music. Oh, it wasn't good enough. We've got to change this. This wasn't right. We've got to make it better, you know? I'm like, okay, but, you know, mellow out. No, no, no. This is my passion. I have to do this. Something happened. We studied the book of Ephesians in our church. And after about four months, he came to me and he said, I get it. I get it. It's about Jesus, it's about the gospel, it's about the power of God. And I never heard him obsess about the music again. Between services, he came to me and he opened his Bible. And he said, Pastor, I have a question for you from the book of Ephesians. Pastor, I've seen this in scripture. It's so amazing. It's so beautiful. And you know what? He still had his joy in music. He still used his gift in music, but now it was changed. Now his joy was actually made full because it was brought under the lordship of Jesus in his life. I think that's what's going on in this passage. There's so much more. We're gonna run out of time because we're having communion today. I'll just, I'll just leave you with one last idea. When you read this passage, go home and read this passage this afternoon and I want you to notice what Jesus says about keeping his commandments, keeping his commandments, o- obedience. The second dimension I think of the joy of Jesus is the joy of obedience obedience to the word and to the will of God. Now, that's going to strike people in Portland as being weird because the word obedience isn't a happy word, (laughs) right? We don't obey anybody or anything except for our own personal choices and our own inclinations. Anything beyond that is oppressive in Portland, Oregon. Jesus said, if you obey my commandment, Verse 9, 59, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What's the joy of Jesus? It's obedience. It's looking to the will of God, the word of God, and saying, that's my agenda. That's what I want to do. And as we do that, he says, you'll abide in the love of God, God's love. You'll experience that in your life. God's love, God's mission, there's so much there. I'm running out of time. I just wanted to throw that out there for you. Will you do me a favor today? It's the Lord's Day. If we were in Rwanda, we'd keep you here for three and a half hours. (laughs) Go later and read John 15, 1 through 17, and ask this question. What is the joy of Jesus, and how do I get it? See what the Lord says to you. Let's pray. Hmm. Father in heaven, I'm thankful for what you're doing in our world, what you're doing in our lives, um, through, in and through River West, both near and far. It's beautiful. But more than any of that, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, a way of thinking which is richer and deeper than our own. So powerful, Lord. Would you, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, teach us the way of Christ? May we hear the promise that these words were spoken, that we might have the joy of Jesus in us and that our joy might be full. May we live for more than our pleasures and our own agenda, but may we live lives on mission, for you, for the gospel, for Christ in a broken world. And Lord, may we bear fruit for your glory because of it. May we see much fruit, Lord. That's your desire. And I pray that will happen, Lord, more and more. And then we'll just rejoice in that, Lord. And we'll acknowledge you for your power and your goodness. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.